Good morning. Good to see everybody filling out nice, uh, nice and good in here. Welcome to Hopevale, everybody. I'm Billy. I'm the worship pastor. Glad everybody's here today. Let's stand up. We'll worship the Lord together.
God, we're uh, thankful to come to church today to be reminded of our faith, to be reminded of what it is that uh, we live for, and we live for you. God, uh, you've made a beautiful world um, in which to live, and um, you've said that you loved us so much that um, even the stuff that we mess up, there's a way out of it uh, through your son, and that's what we just sang about when we celebrate. And thank you that your son lived a life here on earth that we could read about and understand that um, he really moved and changed some people's lives in a miraculous way. And Lord, when he died and rose again, he promised that and said that there would be a Holy Spirit, a comforter, a friend to be with us uh, even to the very end of the age. And so thank you, Lord, that uh, your Holy Spirit is with us and here now uh, amidst our gathering and amidst so many gatherings on this Sunday where people gather to celebrate you as God and as Jesus and as Holy Spirit. So this great mysterious three-in-one that's um, beautiful and hard to understand and um, absolutely life-changing, we honor you today and we bless you and we gather for you and for your sake. So thank you, Lord, so much for that. And uh, we ask that you continue to bless us in our worship time today. Thank you for calling us to worship you in your name. Amen. God bless you, gang. Thanks for being here. Uh, glad everybody's here to worship the Lord Hopevale today. Hey, before you have a seat, say hi to somebody around you. Be nice to introverts, and we'll see you back in a sec. Thanks. Good morning again, Hopevale. You guys can have a seat. Hey, I'm a little confused this morning. I mean, I thought it was spring. What? Not sure what happened there, but maybe one of these days it will get warmer and stay consistently warmer. Uh, earlier this week, I was like, that's it, I'm ditching my jacket, like I'm done with it, just forget about it. And then this morning I was like, all right, I need my jacket. So, but hey, it's great to be here this morning and just so glad that we're, we have this opportunity to gather and to just lift the, the name of Jesus on high together. And so if this is your first time here this morning, uh, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. Just so glad that you came on out to, to just see what God is up to here at Hopevale. And we would love for you to uh, just consider this your church home and to, to just dive into your faith and what God has for you here. And uh, if it is your first time, we would invite you to stop by the Welcome Center in the middle of the lobby there. Uh, just give us a chance to, to get to know you a little bit, give you a gift, and just some more information uh, about Hopevale. And so I uh, would just love for you to stop by there so we could meet you this morning. I've got a couple of announcements to make. Uh, this is, you know, we're, we're heading into April and the Easter season. And so there's a couple things coming up that I want to make sure that everybody is aware of. Uh, first of all, on April 18th, which is a Thursday night, we have our Monday Thursday service. And that's a really special service that we have uh, during the, the week, uh, the Holy Week. And it's just a time to get together and take communion together and reflect on Jesus' last uh, week on earth as he headed into uh, his death, crucifixion, and resurrection. And so uh, that service is right here on Thursday night, April 18th at 6 and 7.30. Uh, child care will be available at the 6 o'clock service. And so hopefully you can put that in your calendars and make it on out that evening. Uh, and then that Sunday, April 21st, are our Easter services. And on that Sunday morning, we have a number of different options. Service times are at 8 a.m., 9.30, 11, and 12.30. So four services, identical services that day. Yeah, that's not 12.30 a.m. That should be a P. Thank you for pointing that out, Billy. Yeah. 
we just totally threw the slide person under the bus. But yeah, <laughs> so 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., and 12.30 p.m. And as you're making your plans, historically, the 9.30 and the 11 services are more heavily attended. And so if you want to be here when there's you know, maybe a few extra open seats, we'd encourage you towards the 8 a.m. or 12.30 p.m. services. And then finally, child dedication is coming up on May 4th. It's a Saturday, uh, just a great morning uh, to, to be together with your family and your kids that you're having dedicated. If you want to learn more about that and to be a part of that on Saturday, May 4th, there's actually a child dedication class on Sunday, April 14th that, uh, at 11.15 right here uh, in the hub, which is a space off of our lobby. And if you want to learn more about that, you can stop by the, the kids' desk in the kids' wing uh, or the info desk this morning to learn more about that and to sign up for it. So uh, there's a lot going on here at Hopevale, and we're just really grateful for the opportunity uh, that we have as a church. I mean, number one, to just exist, and number two, to uh, just invite people to know and follow Jesus. I mean, that's what we're all about. And especially this Easter season, it, it just ramps up what all of that looks like and, and the opportunity that we have to share with others who Christ is. And uh, as the ushers uh, come forward and we prepare to give our, our offering today, um, it's neat. I had the chance to, to meet with a couple in my office this past week and just get to know them a little bit, hear a little bit of their story. And it's, it's a story that we hear over and over again that, you know, for so many of us, you know, maybe, maybe faith and religion and going to church has been a part of their story throughout their whole entire lives, but, but it never necessarily connected on a personal level. And, you know, not that we're doing everything perfectly right around here at Hopevale, but our heart really is that this is a place where people come and you make that personal connection with Jesus Christ. And that was this couple's story this past week that they walked through the doors at Hopevale and it was like, wow, we're we're home. We feel like this is a place where we can connect with our, our faith and, and in Jesus Christ and to live that out together in this community. So just such a blessing to be a part of a church family like that. And so as we give, I, I just hope that, you know, we could give with that joyful expectation that God will continue to write those stories in our lives and in the lives of people who haven't yet come through these doors. And so that's what we, we give expectantly towards. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we give. God, thank you so much for today. And as we said, just the, the opportunity that we have to be here, the freedom that we have to be here to lift your name on high. God, you are so worthy of our praise. You are so much more worthy than we can even fathom. But God, we gather in this place as a body to, to do our best to that end. God, to recognize you for who you truly are and to align our lives with that. And so God, for all that we have planned in the service this morning, would your spirit just be at work in our hearts and lives? God, would you convict, would you challenge, would you encourage us to become even more like our savior? God, and, and giving of our, uh, a portion of what you have entrusted to us is, is just a part of how we want to live out our faith, God. And so would you take and use these gifts and multiply them for your kingdom, God, that we would see just glimpses of your kingdom here on this earth, the same way as it is in heaven that we look forward to being in your presence, fully knowing you one day. God, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Adam. You know, friends, I am convinced that um, 
when we come to church, you know, so many of us come for, for so many reasons. And, um, you know, you come to church, you're like, Lord, would you speak into my circumstance? Would you speak into this thing that is really tough in my life? Or I, I really, I really need you in these, in, uh, in this life and in this time. And, um, I think, you know, um, whether you hear something specifically from scripture that speaks exactly to your circumstance, that's beautiful when God can do that in those moments. But I think some of the big moments is when we can just come and sit at God's feet and bump into the divine and be reminded that his story speaks into every circumstance of our life. I don't, I hope that doesn't sound cliche, but I have found that time and time again, that the way that I fight my battles is the way that I, when I come come into God's presence and when I come in to be reminded of what he's done for me, my circumstances, um, they, don't, they don't fade away, but they fade a bit. And they don't become the most important thing or the most important prayer. Maybe the most important prayer becomes for me um, uh, gratefulness uh, because of God's goodness and because of his grace. Grace in Ephesians is defined as a blessing and something that God gives. And um, we're singing songs of grace today. And we're taking communion today. And um, there is certainly a way that God has mercy on us when he um, doesn't give maybe something we deserve. Um, but he has grace. And so this grace that we receive and this blessing we receive um, is, a, is a beautiful thing of what he's done through Jesus. So wherever you're at today in your spiritual life, all that to say, wherever you are in your spiritual walk, I hope that today, today's reminder of God's grace speaks into your life and speaks into your circumstances in a way where um, it's just God and God alone that brings a wholeness and brings a peace in your life. That's my prayer for you today. Let's continue to worship together as Claire leads us. Sweet the sound, amazing love. 
bless us with, especially through your son, Christ. And um, God, as we focus on moments where we hear of your story told again, um, I really pray that, um, that you would cover us with your grace and cover us with your love. Uh, we need it desperately. In your name we pray. As a church, we say, amen. God bless you, gang. Have a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. It's been so great to spend some time worshiping God together uh, this morning. I'm, I'm Sam Burke. I'm the next-gen pastor here at Hope Vale, and that means I get to lead an incredible staff that works with our kids' ministry and our student ministry and our college ministries. Uh, and I just got to say this morning, man, we are truly blessed here at Hope Vale to have top-notch ministries to the next generation. Uh, I, I love working with those guys. Uh, I love being able to, to have, work at a church where we can show the next generation who Jesus is and what it means to follow him with their lives, no matter how young they are. So exciting, exciting stuff. Um, we want to extend a special welcome to those of you worshiping with us at our Bay City campus. We're just so floored every time, man, that we get to say that around here, to think of all that God has done in just a little over a year, right? So welcome to you this morning. Well, we are almost to the end of our series, Confidence in the Chaos, where we have been journeying through the book of 1 John together. And, and hopefully this has been a beneficial series for you where you've been able to grow not only in your appreciation for the scriptures, but in clarity of your faith and in confidence in Jesus Christ. You know, way back at the beginning of this series, we highlighted John's purpose for writing, you know, the, his theme for his letter. It's found in 1 John 5.13. And I love the way the New Living Translation says it. It says it this way. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. That you may know, that you may have complete 
confidence that you have eternal life. See, John wants his readers, both in the first century and you and me in the 21st century, to have unshakable confidence in knowing who Jesus is and that through our relationship with him, we can have confidence both in this life and in the life to come. And John has been using these two different illustrations to help us understand who God is and who his son Jesus is. He said that that God is light, right? The first half of his letter, God is light. And it's, it's this light that drives out the darkness of this world. And then he said through the last half of the book that God is love. And God is love that sacrifices to save us from this world. And Pastor Ken taught us last week that one of the true markers that we know God and that we know his son Jesus is if we love one another. In fact, one of the very last verses we looked at last week put it very simple in a very straightforward way. John says it like this. He says, if someone says, I love God, but hates his brother or sister, that person is a liar. Basically saying this, our nature as followers of Jesus is to imitate God. It should be to imitate God and and his way of loving one another. And so if we truly love God, we will show that love to one another. And, And these concepts of light and love, and loving one another. They're going to be extremely important as we travel into today's passage of Scripture. And so if you have a copy of the New Testament Scriptures, either physical or digital, or if you have your First John journal that we uh, passed out, I would invite you to join me in First John chapter 5 this morning. That's where we're going to be. Um, before we get to that, though, as you're finding your way there, maybe you're flipping pages, uh, maybe you're just you know, pressing some buttons on your phone, um, I want to ask you a question to kind of get us rolling here today, okay? So how many of you, just by raising your hands, would say that you are uh, or would identify as a detail-oriented person? Anybody in the room detail-oriented? Okay, take a look around. These are your friends, okay? The people with their hands raised, these are your friends. Um, Yeah, I googled the definition of a detail-oriented person because I'm not, and this is what it said. It says a detail-oriented person is someone who pays attention to the details and can make a conscious effort to understand causes instead of just the effects. And they do this in a second nature type of way. It shouldn't be something that that person has to work at. You know, my wife Sarah is actually a very detail-oriented person. In fact, quite often I'll hear the words from her, what's the plan? Anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> what's the plan? And, and what she means by that is not like generally what are we doing or like, you know, uh, generally what's the plan here? Like, not like the idea of it. She wants to know the details. In fact, um, last spring, you know, last week for spring break, we tried to come to get a plan, put a plan together for our family. And we sat down on Monday night and she was like, oh, we got to talk about the week. And I'm like, well, I got a couple ideas. And she, no, she wants the details because that's the way her mind works. She, you know, has to, and that's the way she would do it, and that's the way, um, you know, how she processes things. And I just got to say this, that has been a life saver on many occasions for our family and for our marriage. And so, Sarah, I see you. Um, uh, our, uh, all of our detail-oriented people in the room, I completely appreciate you, okay? <laughs> like, we all appreciate you. Now, how many of you are more like me? You're more big picture kind of thinkers. Just raise your hand up. Like, you like the ideas more than the execution of those ideas? Like, you'll say, hey, let's do this, and you have no idea how to do it. You just want to do it? Like, okay, yeah, that's the, you are my people, uh, right? Like, we like the ideas. We don't dive into the minutia of that. We let somebody else handle that. Um, you know, that, there's, there's positives and negatives to both of those things, Right? Uh, And then one's not better than the other. We need each other. The idea people need the detail people. The detail people need the idea people. Now, here's what I found about myself, though. 
Even though I'm an idea person, a bigger picture thinker kind of person, I will every once in a while dive into the details about some things. There are some things that I really like or that I really like want to be about that I'll go deep in those details. Not everything, just a few things. And one of those things, because I love to read and I love to write, what I've found is that one of those things is I've become a little bit of a grammar snob. Anybody else raising hand like grammar snob? Here's what I mean by those of you who know what grammar snob is, you know, and you highlight, you're like, yes, that's me. Um, I tend to find like errors in wording, in phrasing, or punctuation when people say things and it's a little bit off. You're like, mm, I didn't say that quite right. Or when there's a typo on the screen, like you can't like move away from it. You're like, but there was a typo. I can't sing that now. You know, it's you know these things just start. Or someone says something or doesn't punctuate things the right way and it just bothers you. you no, know, that, that's. If, that, if it's like that and it isn't right, it bothers me and I just can't walk away from it, okay? So, so a couple of weeks ago, I was on Facebook and I saw this post and I was like, this is for me because it highlighted this obsession. The, the post was called, Why um, Punctuation Matters. And maybe you've seen this uh, post on Facebook. And in this case, it was why using commas matter. And so I wanted to show you a, a few of these because I think these are great. Okay, so look at this first sentence here. Um, it said, I like cooking my family and pets. <laughs> now, some of you are probably thinking, what's wrong with that sentence? It's great. Um, yeah, but I, I looked at that and I'm like, okay, so here's the way it's supposed to be. Here's the comma. Like, I like cooking my family and pets. So when you put the commas in, it becomes a list of things you like, not a list of things you like cooking. Um, you know, so commas are important. And I love there was a little tiny little like thing next to this on the post that says, use commas, don't be a psycho. And I, I completely agree with that. So that was the first one. Here's the next one. Let's eat grandma. And all the grandmas in the room are going, what? <laughs> no. Now, if you put the comma in, um, it, it makes more sense, right? It becomes a statement to grandma, not about grandma. And all the grandmas in the room can now breathe easier right? This last sentence here, this is the reason why the Oxford comma is so important. An Oxford comma is um, just that, for those of you who may not know, is the comma that comes in a list of things before the word and to signify this is the end of this list. And so let's look at this next sentence here. Um, I want to thank my parents. Then they got a comma in, they, you know, A for effort. Um, I want to thank my parents, Tiffany and God. Now, this is the reason why the Oxford comma is important. It's because um, the way it's worded here. Um, it says, I want to thank my parents, and then it looks like their parents are Tiffany and God. Um, but we put an Oxford comma in right here. Let's put that there. Um, to differentiate, now this sentence is completely different, right? So I want to thank my parents. That's one group. Tiffany, who is not a parent. somebody different. And God, who is not any of those three things. And that's why the Oxford comma is important. Now, you may be saying, Sam, why in the world is any of this important and relative to 1 John chapter 5? And I would say the reason that this is important, it has everything to do with 1 John chapter 5. Because what we are learning here through this little funny little exercise is this, is that getting the details right is important. And all my detail-oriented people in the room are saying amen, right? Getting the details right is important. And according to what we're about to look at in 1 John, getting the details right is important, especially about Jesus. Especially about Jesus. You see, we've already seen over and over again in John's letter this warning about a group of false teachers that were among this church, but they left the church. And John has said these people followed the spirit of Antichrist, or quite literally, a counterfeit Christ. 
And back in chapter 2, he warned them about these false teachings about Jesus by saying, anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ or who denies Jesus is the Son of God does not know God at all. And then in chapter 4, he said, anyone who claims that Jesus did not come in a real body or in the flesh, that person is in the spirit of Antichrist also. See, John was adamant about getting the details right about Jesus. Because if you don't get Jesus right, then you don't get the whole thing right. And so John wants his first century readers to be clear on who Jesus is because they were being confused by all these other teachings about him. And right here in the 21st century, for you and for me, it's no different. I mean, just a simple Google search of the words, who was Jesus, with a question mark, will get you all kinds of differing stories and views and beliefs about who Jesus is and who he was. You know, I did this this past week, and and here's some of the things that I discovered through this search. Some say that he was a man, that he was just a plain, ordinary man who lived. Some say he was a great teacher and a great prophet, but nothing else. Some say that he was a myth and a legend. He never really existed. He just exists in our minds. Some say he was someone who had an extraordinary connection to the divine, but that was all. See, we live in, a, in an age where confusion about who Jesus is and who he was is all around us, not unlike John's original audience. So it is just as important for us as it was for his original audience to listen to what this best friend of Jesus, the one who journeyed with him, who saw him heal the sick and raise a dead man back to life, and saw him uh, at, at his crucifixion, saw the empty tomb, saw the risen Jesus, saw him ascend back to heaven. It's important for us, for you and for me, to listen to what that man has to say about who his best friend Jesus is. And so with that in mind, I want to turn our attention to 1 John chapter 5. Let's look what he says. He starts off by saying this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Let's look at verse 2. It says, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And then verse 3, it says this. It says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. See, these, ver- these first few verses are actually John finishing up his thoughts from the end of chapter 4. He says, at the very end of chapter 4, he said this. He said, anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he goes on to say here, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child. And this is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and keeping his commands. And then he says, okay, I'm going to spell it out here really clearly for you. This is how you know you love God. We love God by keeping his commands. And then he says, God's commands are not burdensome. God's commands through Jesus are not burdensome. Unlike the Jewish law, which contains some 613 laws, regulations, and commands to follow, which, to be honest, is almost nearly impossible to do as a human being. It's a very heavy burden. In fact, the Apostle Paul said over and over again in the New Testament that the Jewish law was like a heavy burden to carry around. John says the law of Christ is not burdensome. The commands that Jesus has asked us to keep are not burdensome. They're not heavy to carry. They're simply this, to love God, love others, and love one another. Love God, 
love others, love one another. They're not burdensome. And these commands flow out of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Notice the relational words he uses. He says that we are born of God. We are children of God. We're brothers and sisters with each other. It's this relational word with us and God that we are his children. And so we love God by, by allowing these commands to flow out of that relationship of he being our father and we being his children. Then he says this, verse 4. He says, for everyone who is born of God, the relational word there, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Look at verse 5. He says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, those who are born of God overcome, or quite literally gain overwhelming victory over the world. And as we've seen throughout this series, when, when John talks about the world, he's not talking about the outside with the trees and nature and all of that kind of stuff. No, he, he's talking about a system of this world, a system that is always present with us, with all of its lust, with all of its greed, with all of its struggle for power in the world, with all of its governments that fight one another to be the, the, the strongest, with all of its oppression over people. That is the system that John is addressing here when he says the world. And he says those who are born of God will overcome those kind of systems of the world. See, John's original first century audience, they would have understood completely what he was talking about. They would have understood this system because they were under the oppression of the Roman government. They were under, the, under Rome's iron foot. And Rome's oppression of Christians was harsh. And a lot of times seemed very hopeless. And so John was writing to them to give them hope that one day, either in this life or in eternal life, the life to come, there will be victory over these types of systems that oppress us. And so the question then is, how do we know who overcomes the world and who is born of God? And John tells us, the one who overcomes is only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, getting the details about Jesus right, John would tell us, has serious eternal implications. The bottom line of what he wants us to begin to understand here this morning is that who you say Jesus is in this world will determine your victory over this world. Who you say Jesus is in this world will determine your victory over this world. And John needed to be extremely clear here because of the false teaching about Jesus that was circulating. Because the church that he was the pastor over, that he's writing to, they found themselves in this debate over who Jesus is and who the Christ was because of these false teachers. And so in the next few verses, John is actually deciding to go all in in correcting this misguided, anti-Christ, counterfeit Christ theology. See, this misguided teaching about Jesus would later be defined by biblical scholars as Gnosticism or a Gnostic teaching. The word Gnostic actually comes from the Greek word gnosko, which means knowledge or to know. And the Gnostics believe that in order to understand the world, in order to understand God in a more complete way, you needed to gain some kind of an enlightened or special form of knowledge. That if you could somehow have this enlightened knowledge, then you would understand the mysteries 
behind the world. And, and that spe special knowledge that they believed that they had and received um, taught them to reject the physical world and embrace only the spiritual world. They thought that only spiritual things were good and that physical things were actually evil. And so things like our flesh, our blood, death, anything that had to do with the physical world, all of those things in their minds were evil, and they taught that they were evil. In fact, during the time of this writing, there was a Gnostic teacher named Serinthus, who many biblical scholars believe this letter from John is actually addressing specifically his teaching. He taught that the spirit of, the spirit of Christ, the Messiah, actually descended upon the man Jesus during his baptism. And so Jesus, the person in the flesh, wasn't the Messiah, but the Spirit descended upon him. And that sometime before his crucifixion, that Spirit left Jesus. That was what he would, taught, would have taught. So the crucifixion, the death, the blood of Christ, ultimately his resurrection to Serenthus and to these Gnostics, they meant nothing to them. He would say, this, this guy Serenthus would say that the Spirit of Christ came by water. And so understanding that and knowing some of these false teachings that were going on and the, the, uh, the uh, confusion that was happening in this church, it becomes really important for us as John continues because it helps us make sense of what he's about to say. So look how John responds here. Look at verse, uh, verse 6. He says, this is the one, talking about Jesus, going backwards, he says, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God will overcome the world. And so which Jesus, they might have asked. Which version? Is it what this guy says? Is it what they're saying? And he says, oh, let me clear this up for you. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only. Notice he's going back and, and addressing this. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. Go on to the next verse here. For the, there are three that testify the spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. See, John wants to be clear that the blood of Jesus is significant. It's significant. And while this passage is actually one of the more difficult passages in the New Testament to interpret, uh, to gain an, an actual fully clear meaning on, the, I think the background of these, this false teaching that was going on makes it pretty clear that John was highlighting that Jesus' baptism was an important testimony about who he was. If you remember the story at the baptism of Jesus, there's a voice that comes from heaven, and it's, it's God's voice. He says, this is my son in whom I love, and then the Spirit descends upon him as a, like a dove. And, the, and it, we see that happening there. And John's like, yes, that was an important moment in the life of Jesus, his baptism important. But then John would say, listen, not only is that important, but his death and his resurrection, that's an equal testimony as to who the Son of God is. It's not just about the water. Notice he said that it's not the water only, but water and the blood, speaking of his death and his resurrection. It's an equal testimony about who the Son is of God really is, who Jesus really is. And then he goes a step further. And he says, not only do his baptism and his death and resurrection testify to who he is, but the Holy Spirit that came on the day of Pentecost testifies to who the Son of God is. And they are all in agreement with one another that Jesus is the Son of God. And so if you want to know who overcomes the world, it's the one who believes that this Jesus is the Son of God. 
And then he goes on to say this in verse 9. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater. Because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Go on to the next verse. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Go to the next verse. Whoever has the Son has that life, but whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. See, this is the true testimony about Jesus. He's not some spiritual apparition as some were teaching. But according to John and according to the other apostles and according to the Holy Spirit of God, he, Jesus, is the Son of God, fully human and fully divine. We cannot reject one for the other. We cannot embrace the divinity of Jesus and reject the humanity of Jesus. But we can't reject uh, the divinity of Jesus and embrace the humanity of Jesus either. They both need to be present at the same time. And that is a great mystery. And that's, that's something that I don't pretend to fully understand. And I'm not sure that John even would say he fully understood it either. But he said, this is, this is who Jesus is. This is who the Son of God is. He is the incarnate or the embodied in human form Son of God. So whoever believes in the Son of God, they are born of God. They have the Son, and they have eternal life that overcomes the world. Who you say Jesus is in this world will determine your victory over this world. So then the question we come to this morning is this. What do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this? What should our response be? And my question as I, as I was writing this and studying this out was that how did John hope that his original audience would have responded to this? And then what difference does it make right here in 2019 to you and to me? Well, John is writing this so that his audience can be clear about who Jesus is and the eternal significance the answer to that question makes in our lives. You know, I love the way that Pastor Tim Keller puts it in his book, Making Sense of God. He said this. He said, if Jesus Christ was really raised from the dead, if he's really the son of God and you believe in him, all of these things that you long for most desperately will come true at last. We will escape time and death. We will know love without parting. We will even communicate with non-human beings. And he says, think angels. And we will see evil defeated forever. In fairy tales, especially the best and most well-told ones, we get a temporary emotional reprieve from a real world in which our deepest desires are all violently rebuffed. But if we believe in the gospel, we are assured that all those longings will be fulfilled in real time, space, and history. So then that question, how do we respond? Well, I would say this. It depends on which side of the question, who do you believe Jesus is to you, you fall on. See, I think there are actually two different responses to this morning. First, the first response is if you are undecided about who Jesus is to you or, or what you believe about him, I think John would want you to respond in this way. John would want you to make a commitment to Christ. 
to make a commitment to Christ, to, to believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he is, and to believe the testimony of his followers about him. And I don't know where you're at this morning and what you think of all of this, but maybe the Holy Spirit has been nudging you to take this step and to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that his death and his resurrection offer you that forgiveness. And I want to tell you, you can make that commitment today. And so I would just ask, would you consider making a commitment to Christ this morning? Or maybe you're here um, this morning and you, you've uh, come to a very different conclusion about who Jesus is than John did. And I think what John would want you, um, what, how he would want you to respond is to, to return to the correct version of who Jesus is, to make maybe a recommitment to Christ. The second response, though, is um, for those of us who, who know Jesus and would say that um, we are his followers. I think the way John would want us to respond, and the reason why he would have written this to us, is that he would want us to respond by having confidence in Christ. And having confidence in Christ. You know, sometimes the reality of living in this world can beat down our faith. It can beat down our hope. It can beat down our joy. And can make us question and doubt a lot of things. And I think what John would want us to remember and have ringing in our minds um, would be the truth of what, um, what Jesus spoke to his first disciples that John recorded for us in his gospel when he said this, John 16, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And I think what John would want us to know from all of what we've read this morning is that we can have confidence in Christ, even in the midst of hardships, even in the midst of troubles, even in the midst of things not going the way we planned them to go. We can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. And John would tell us, listen, not only has Jesus overcome the world, but because he has and because of your belief in him, you overcome the world also. And you can have all of those things. And you can have peace. Because of our belief in Jesus as the Son of God, we will overcome the world too. We, we can find our faith. We can find our hope, our joy, our peace, and ultimately find our confidence in Christ. And so before we step into a, a time of communion this morning to remember the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, I just want to ask you a very simple and very straightforward question today. And that question is this. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? And what difference does it make in your life? Let's pray together. God, we come to a moment like this where we um, embrace the reality of who your son Jesus is. And John would want us to, to understand that Jesus is, is um, fully human, fully divine. And he came to offer us not just a way to think about life, not just a, a moral way to live life, but he came to offer us a way to be truly changed from the inside out and to overcome the world.
And so God, I, I know with a room this size, there are probably people here who um, don't know where they stand with Christ. And then maybe, I know John would be super excited to know that someone might, through your spirit, take a step towards coming to know you and make a commitment to Jesus. And God, for those of us who are, have been following Jesus, maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time, God, I pray that, that through what we've heard today, through what we've experienced today, that we would have a greater confidence in who Jesus is. Because who we say Jesus is in this world is ultimately going to determine our victory over the world. And give us that joy, that peace, all of that. And so God, may we believe that Jesus truly has overcome the world so that we may be overcomers too and find our peace and our confidence in him. God, thank you for a morning where we can um, think about that. We can um, be reminded about that, be informed about who Jesus really is and, and know that we can put our trust and our faith in him. So thank you for those reminders and for those nudgings. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Pastor Sam has prepared us well for this time of communion. It's a time to reflect on what Jesus Christ, who's both fully God and fully man, has accomplished for us on the cross. See, humanity is, is stained by sin and on our own, there is absolutely no way that we can escape our sin. But Jesus took that penalty of our sin on himself on the cross when he died in our place. See, he paid the penalty for our sin and then rose back to life, demonstrating his authority and victory over sin and death. And so if we're looking for hope in something that we can have absolute confidence in, Jesus Christ is that hope. And because Jesus did this on our behalf, it's not something that we can earn or something that we deserve. It's not. It's only by his grace that we're saved. And I, I saw this quote, I think, on Facebook in the past week. It was this idea of the difference between a religion-based faith and a gospel-based faith. And in our approach to God, religion says something like this, that, you know, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. That's religion. It's a, it's a fear-based picture of God where he is punitive. Like, man, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. And if that's the reality, then you're hesitant to go before your heavenly father. But the gospel is this. It's us saying, I messed up. I have to call my dad. Knowing that he is the one who is going to graciously come alongside of us when we mess up and put our arm around us and say, hey, I've got this. I took care of this on your behalf. Just confess it and rest in what I have accomplished for you already. That is the heart of the gospel, and that is what we get to respond to today. And so this morning, we want to take that moment to remember and to reflect on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And Jesus gave us a way to do that through taking communion, where the bread represents his broken body and the cup represents the new covenant that he instituted in his blood through what he did. And so as a community desiring to follow Jesus with our lives, we recognize that we are sinners 
in need of a savior and that Jesus Christ is that one and only savior, that he is the way that has been provided to us to have that open access with our heavenly father. So taking communion together is a physical reminder of what Jesus has spiritually accomplished on our behalf. So as we prepare to do that, um, there's just a couple things that I wanna point out. And so first of all, uh, in order to participate, you don't have to be a member of Hopevale or anything like that. The only requirement is that you are placing your hope, your faith, your trust in Christ for what he has done for you on the cross that you are placing your trust in what he has done. And out of that, you're responding with your life to say, Jesus, you are my savior. I love you and I wanna live my life for you. That's it. And so if that describes you today, you are more than welcome to participate. Um, but if that doesn't describe your heart today, then we would ask that uh, you just help pass the elements on down the row when the plate comes by. And we say that not to single you out or anything like that, but just to, to highlight the importance of this time as we reflect on this, this sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. And parents with any kids in the room, uh, we trust you that you know their hearts on that for whether or not they participate. And so having, having said those things, uh, at the same time, I want to go back to what Pastor Sam was talking about this morning. And this is an invitation that if you have never crossed that line of faith in your life today and, and what we have been talking about, talking about who Jesus is and what he's done, if, if your heart is compelled to respond to that message today, I would invite you to do that right now, right? To confess that you are a sinner and Jesus is your savior. And if you do that right in this moment, you're more than welcome to participate this morning as we take communion together. So as we consider all these things, I want to invite the servers to come forward as we, we prepare to take the bread and the cup. And, and as they come and as we do that, I want to uh, just let you know that we're uh, distributing the elements in a slightly different way this morning. So we're just gonna pass the plate one time and in each slot, there's actually two cups. And I want you to grab both of those. The bottom cup has the bread in it and the top cup uh, has the juice in it. So you're gonna grab both uh, and then just take a moment to reflect as everybody has a chance to receive those. And then I'll be back in a few minutes to uh, say a few more things before we take that together. Uh, so as we prepare our hearts to do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we're so humbled uh, to know that we can confidently stand before your throne of grace. God, that you have the authority to be on that throne, that that is your rightful place. And God, to know that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins in our place is incredibly humbling. And then you, as our heavenly father, invite us into relationship with you. Not in a way where you, you need to uh, inflict punishment on us because of our sin and messiness and brokenness, but because we are sinful and messy and broken, you sent Jesus to take that penalty in our place. And God, you did that because of your great love for us. And God, it came at, at great cost as Jesus took 
all of the sin, all of the pain for the entire world on his shoulders. He carried that burden to the cross so that those sins would be forgiven, so that us individually and collectively, we could be reconciled to our heavenly father. And God, we are so grateful for that. And so thank you, God, for the bread that represents your broken body and the blood that represents this new covenant that you have made with us to give us free access to you. God, words can't really describe how we feel in light of all of that other than to just fall at your feet in love, in awe, in reverence and say, God, here we are. We are yours and would you take and use us for your purposes. God, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' precious name.
Jesus was uh, taking the, the traditional Passover meal with his disciples, when he infused it with completely new meaning. So they're sitting around a table and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after, after the meal, he took the cup and he said that this cup represents my blood and it is representative of the new covenant in my blood, giving us free access to the Father. So he said, when you take and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. In 1 Corinthians, John wrote about how uh, when, you, when you take the bread and the cup, we are proclaiming Christ's death until he comes again. And so that is what we've had the opportunity to do together today, to proclaim his death and the significance personally of what that means for us. And we look forward to that day when Jesus returns to take us home. And in the meantime, the desire to live our lives, to bring him the glory that he deserves. Let's pray again. Lord, again, we thank you so much for the cross. We thank you for what you have done on our behalf, the victory that you demonstrated over sin and death and how we can have absolute confidence in that and for what it means for us as we go about this world. God, so this morning, we once again wanna tell you that we place our hope and our confidence in you because of your great love for us. God, we love you in return and desire to live our lives in a way that would bring you honor and glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, if you would like someone to pray with you, we have our elders in the hub. Um, for whatever um, you would like to be prayed for, um, uh, we would want to offer that for you this morning. Uh, but we would say as you go from here today, may you walk in the confidence of Jesus Christ and who he really is. Thank you for being here.